FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 139 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason. I wish I had a Beyonder proof dome so I didn't have to read this crap minimal. <laughs> and I'm joined once again by flashback co-host Cameron, never go full human, Sinclair. Hey <laughs> Hey Cameron, what's up? Nothing, I like the... Um... The, oh, now I forgot the name of the movie. Uh, the Tropic Thunder. The, yeah, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I, I appreciate the Tropic Thunder reference there. I immediately thought of that in that part of the story. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. So, in this flashback episode, we're going to wrap up Secret Wars 2. So, this will be Secret Wars 2, Part 2. They should have called this Secret Wars also. That would have been better. Our Secret Wars, T-O-O. I mean, we're in the middle of the 80s, for crying out loud. The Roman numeral 2 is so 70s. They, sh- they, they should have called this Jim Shooter, You're Fired. <laughs> it should have been called. I think we're a good ways from that, believe it or not. I don't know. So before we get into uh, the rest of these books, do you want to make a disclaimer or maybe a confession? I guess it would be more accurate. If you remember from the last time, the last flashback episode Cameron was on when we covered the first half of Secret Wars 2, we talked about kind of how crappy the covers were, all except for one. And that was the first one, number one. Oh yeah, I forgot we had to fix this. Yeah, and we, I made a mistake, partially because I looked at the wrong thing online. Of course, in in these days, usually there were not usually uh, cover credits in the comic. So you have to go look on like the apps, like the Marvel Wiki app or the website, yeah. or you know, you can look for a signature sometimes on the cover. Well, we credited number one to Al Milgram because he did all the rest. And we said, man, that was strangely awesome. But actually number one, and actually, actually if you look in the dirt, there's a lot of those cracks, but you can just, see the signature. Uh, and it's a John Byrne cover, which explains yeah. why it was the one that was so good and all the rest were so bad. That does make sense now. So, full apologies to John Byrne. I know he's listening, and I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I also wanted to clear up, and I, I had a couple of different things I thought of later. Okay. I I remembered, this is not, this was not from, I don't, your listeners don't care about this, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Okay. <laughs> Great <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I did not get this in our infamous box of comics that we got. Okay. Because remember, we were talking about, this is from the 80s, 86. Yeah. So what it had been in there. And what I remembered is that I bought this when David Mendez, who your <laughs> listeners don't know. No. <laughs> took me to an early version of Dallas Comic Con. Yes, I remember it because we both went to one day. I think he went to two days, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so at that, I, I'm pretty sure what happened there, I bought my... Secret Wars alien costume, one that everyone has. Right. And then I found this whole series just as a, like a set. Okay. In fact, I think my, I think that it was the alien costume Secret Wars 1 and then the whole run of Secret Wars 2. 
You know, that actually sounds familiar, us talking about that before. I yeah, think you're right. I think I just bought that whole set. Because I was trying to think, would I have kept buying this off the shelf? And I would like to think that even as dumb as 1986 Cameron was, <laughs> that I wasn't so dumb what? that I would have nine months continued buying this. I was barely buying stuff off the shelf at that point. We, we yeah, were kind of just getting into collecting when this then, came yeah, out. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because that was when you know, my aunt would just sporadically take us to the shop. And yeah. so so I bought this as a chunk, so I didn't buy it. Yeah. I didn't know. I just bought it. <laughs> it would be awesome. Hey, it was, it was a famous series, right? I mean, we were trying to fill in some holes of the stuff that we had yeah. just missed. And so I'm sure also, like the X-Men and stuff, we probably had some of those issues that tied in. And so we're probably just trying to, you know, we, we were both at our worst where we're both uh, completist whores and yeah. like to try to like fill in all our runs. And I think a lot of collectors our age are that same way. Um, yeah. And I wanted to say too, what else I remember about that show was our first brush with kind of indie comics, like outside of Marvel and DC. Cause I remember David, uh, Knew that guy that did that. Uh, yeah, his, Elgato uh, Negro. Yeah, the Spanish book, yeah. Elgato Negro. And he like signed it for us. And yeah, I, rem- yeah, I remember I that. And I remember, I don't. I think most of it was in Spanish, right? So I couldn't read it. I think it was all in Spanish, yeah. yeah but, but it looked cool. The art yeah, cool. yeah, it did look cool. It kinda, honestly, it kind of looked a whole lot like the Black Panther in my mind. That's what yeah. I remember it looking like. I don't think I know where it is anymore. But I'm, I think I, I still have it, but I, yeah. yeah, it's tucked away in a box somewhere right yeah so that, that's stories of our comics and glory past um, yeah there you go <laughs> so so cameron did not maybe love secret wars too as much as he thought he did even back and as then. i read through it i don't even remember the last part of the last couple of issues <laughs> what's to remember so i'm not even sure if i kept reading <laughs> yeah. i don't know i completely blocked it out and I only, but I remember vividly the first couple of issues because I remembered all the crazy stuff in the first that we talked about last time. Right. But I didn't remember any of this. And yeah. so I think I may have never finished reading it. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, it's just, it's, well, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we will get there. In fact, let's do it right now, huh? Let's do it. All right, here we go. back and that's back all right welcome welcome back segway sound (laughs) all right so we're gonna uh skip secret wars 2 number six because wolverine's not in it and nothing really happens oh i did have one i had two things to say about it okay no i I, I skimmed through it quickly okay well real fast the only plot point is that that matters at all is that beyonder does away with death which actually kind of carries over to your messianic Jesus story comparison. There yeah. were several points I was going to bring back yeah. related to that. So I, yeah. I wrote, I started, I started reading six quickly. I was just kind of skimming it. I wrote three things. The first thing is that the comic starts with a how to buy property tutorial. There's like a page of him <laughs> talking about how he looked at the permits, he did the plans, he right. started construction. I really yeah. don't know why they really walked us through. How to build a facility. Because Jim Shooter knows his shit. I guess so. He did some real intensive research. He probably had just bought a house, and he's like, I'm going to waste all this knowledge. That's what probably. I, 
And then I wrote Doctor Strange. Use it or lose it, right, Cameron? Use it or lose it, yeah. Exactly. And then Doctor Strange plays a psychologist, which I thought was really silly. Well, he is the doctor. The doctor is in. And then I just wrote Ugh and quit reading. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so the the issue ends with um, the Beyonder decides without Death, the cosmos is out of balance. So he restores Death's persona onto his business associate. Yeah, that happens at the end of six, and then we'll pick up with seven uh, with Mephisto kind of dealing with that. So that that brings us to number seven, Charge of the Dark Brigade. Written by Jim Sheeter, penciled by Al Milgram, inked by Steve Lealoha, letters by Rosen and Friends. Okay, good job, people. <laughs> Colors by Julie. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't want to do this. Someone else do it. <laughs> you owe me a favor. It's not. It's not Rosen and Friends. It's Rosen and people that were obligated to do something for him. Exactly. He probably yeah. was moving again. <laughs> he him and Jim Shooter were moving, and they're like, hey, guys, come help me move, and then help me letter some stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then the colorist is uh, Juliana Ferreter, I guess. Sure. All right. And our cover is by uh, Milgram and Leia Loha, and it's the Beyonder and a Spiral of Villains. And I actually kind of like the idea of, like, the villains kind of, like, in this spiral around him but it's not drawn very well nope in the tradition of the five covers before this one poorly drawn poorly laid out yeah the only character i actually kind of like the drawing of is ultron yeah he's not bad because he kind of looks a little thicker than he usually looks and i kind of like that so like we said death has been banished and restored but mephisto is worried that the fickle Beyonder will change his mind about restoring death, so he decides to be proactive. By the way, he siphons some Beyonder juice in a wacky machine. <laughs> Beyonder's Bane. Yeah, Beyonder's Bane. Yeah, write that down. Yeah. That, that'll be on the test. <laughs> <laughs> the Thing, now an action star gives us his very own recap over a beer. Uh, where's mine? I need one or ten to keep reading this. Um, (laughs) The Beyonder becomes a Gilligan's Island guru. Mephisto starts recruiting bad guys for a plan I don't care enough about to explain. The Molecule Man struggles with what side he'll take, but Big Legs McLava Girl tells him to play board games because it's rude to ignore their guest. And brings the largest thing of popcorn I've ever seen. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I was also really irritated. There's a running gag in here, which I didn't get early on, that she's larger and she eats a lot. Yeah. Because they have her stuff in her face with donuts and another issue, an eight, I think. Right. And well, I thought, how dumb and cliched. Well, it is really kind of sexist. All right, so here's here's the oh. problem with Jim Shooter, besides the fact that if we didn't learn from the first Secret Wars, we're learning it again in the second one, that he hates women. Um, yeah. The problem is, I have no problem with her being bigger. Yeah. I think having diverse body shapes for female figures is a great idea, but that's not what this is about. No. This isn't about, like, diverse body shapes or, or different people having different body types. This is about them making fun of her and drawing her in a way that's supposed to be comedic because, oh, look at the girl. She's stuffing her face, and isn't that well, it's, funny? It's a- and because and there's even a point where Beyonder refers to her as a cow. 
Yeah. Which, okay, well, you can say they're just trying to show the Beyonders mean, but I kind of feel like Jim Shooter's being mean instead. Yeah, it's, yeah, definitely. And it's also the trope because Molecule Man is so small. Right. That's, I mean, it's all just, it's all just a really lame trope. That is a bad guy trope. with the big yeah. girl. Over. Just one of, one of many of the, you know, the Secret Wars, we talked about this last time, is it's chock full of gags that just don't work. No, they don't. They're terrible. So, but what you're saying, though, is when we cast this movie, DJ Qualls is going to be the Molecule Man? <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so back to our evil plan, besides Jim Shooter's evil plan of sexism. Um, <laughs> Mephisto needs a distraction while he preps his plan and tricks the thing into swimming over to fight the Beyonder. Yes, the big pile of rocks swam across the ocean. Because the devil told him to. Yes. Uh, and then the bad guys rush the Beyonder, but the thing defends him because he's really a hero after all. He stalls the villains just long enough for Mephisto's machine to melt down. Any, what do you got on this one? Anything you want to add to that? Uh, I was going to say... Not really. I, the only thing I, that I thought was kind of interesting, not even interesting, but kind of funny, is that Mephisto called all the bad guys Legion Accursed, which I thought was kind of a funny name. Yeah, kind of. it kind of would have been better if this was like a good story or even like the, the uh, old Super Friends cartoon. <laughs> yeah, and I also kind of liked it. It wasn't nearly as good as the panel where the X-Men are attacking Beyonder and he looks bored, but you have the same kind of thing here where everybody's attacking and Thing is fighting them off and then Beyonder is just sitting there doing the thinking man, just pondering the meaning of life while Thing <laughs> every bad guy that exists in the world right in a stupid like american gladiators jacket he's wearing yeah but it's not nearly as well done as that that one the one panel from four no. i think it was, no, it's not. which was actually pretty funny but this one was it was just i also i'm traditionally not a fan i love kind of what a little girl mephisto is yeah. And he's like, oh, this is terrible. Oh. Like that, particularly in the kind of in the middle, right before that panel you're talking about, where he's like yeah. rubbing his hands all over his face and he's like about to cry. He's a little wiener. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't like Mephisto either. And so I don't mind, I don't mind that facet of him being whiny and stupid. Right. All right. So I thought overall the art sucked. Yep. And the story sucked. And I'm going to give Secret Wars 2, number 7, a big fat zero out of six claws. What do you got? Me too. Zero, zero. We're venturing into if there was a, if Wolverine had an inverted claw, I would give him, give this. <laughs> this is getting that bad. Yes, it is. Um, Three ingrown claws. <laughs> ingrown. Nice. <laughs> All right, so before we move over to our, our first tie-in, I don't have, you know, during the first half of this series, I, I had a lot of these tie-ins and was able to kind of read along. I don't have very many in the second half. But what I do have, that Wolverine's just barely in in flashback, is Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, number 111. This is uh, Jim Owsley as a writer doing his best Jim Shooter impersonation. Don't ask me why. Uh, Rich Buckler did the layouts. M. Hands finished. The hand finished. Just like when you get a massage. All right. 
<laughs> a happy ending. Um, this this comic does not have a happy ending though. Um, Janice Chang did the letters. Nell Yamtob did the colors. And the cover is by Rich Buckler. And the cover is a giant puma attacking the uh, ebony-dressed Spider-Man and the Beyonder. And basically, what this comic does is it ties the puma's origin into the Beyonder. The whole thing of his tribal power was he was destined to face this threat that is the Beyonder. And then the Beyonder decides, well, hey, I don't have a purpose, but the Puma's purpose is to kill me. I guess I should let him. But, of course, Spider-Man interferes and everyone gets mad. It's a terrible comic. I also gave it zero out of six claws. Well. So, but we do have some tie-ins that go over to X-Men, and we're going to let Cameron do that coming right up. <laughs> that's awesome that yeah. may, that's gonna that is by far gonna be the best thing that happens this episode <laughs> all right so uncanny x-men 202 202 part of secret wars 2 secret a lot of wars. twos okay chris claremont writer john Romita jr penciler al williamson guest anchor tom orzachowski letterer glennis oliver colorist and the name Jim Shooter is on there. <laughs> yeah, he's still editor in chief at Marvel. Now, so now I see it, and then now it makes me mad. But right. Okay. <laughs> so the cover, um, I I actually like the cover quite a bit. Yeah, I do too. It's also by uh, John Romita Jr. and Al Williamson, and it's uh, Sentinels in Snow fighting the X Men. Two Sentinels, and it's got um, Colossus in the hands. You have a, a Magneto. Storm, I think that's Kitty at the bottom there. Yeah. Over with some really cool slash marks. Yeah, that looks great. On, on the Sentinel. And um, Rogue flying through a Sentinel, which is pretty yes. cool looking. Yeah, and you have the black sky and the snowstorm. And I, yeah. I I actually enjoy this cover quite a bit. Yeah, I think, I think it's a really good cover. I like the purple. The purple stands out well. The blue, kind yeah. of snow blue. Yeah, it's, it's really well done. The only thing I don't like is this is... A variation, it's the baggy variation on my least favorite Magneto costume. But uh, I don't like this Magneto either. Rather I mean, than that, I think it's great. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we open up with Rachel in her hound face with a phoenix in the background. A pretty decent panel. I think it could be cooler, but yeah, the phoenix fire in the background. And she announces to the X-Men that she's going to kill the Beyonder. Please. Full prayed spread. Uh, and then it kind of gets a little less dramatic immediately. It turns out that she's only talking to Rogue instead and of all men, as it sounded like she was making a big declarative statement to everyone. Right. But she didn't know, because it's not even her. This is a hologram. Well, that's true. And so Rogue hears it. So Rogue immediately tells everybody, or tattletales, if you will. <laughs> and the X-Men begin debating whether or not they want to help Rachel do this. There is an awful drawing of Wolverine popping his claws uh, where he looks like Steven Seagal. Yeah. yeah. It took me a minute to figure out where that face was <laughs> and why it made me so mad. And that's why Steven Seagal. <laughs> I think you're right. So um, weird, a couple of weird faces. Kurt's face is also very strange. I don't know what's happening to John Marita Jr. in this particular moment. But yeah. Anyway, they have a debate about whether or not they want to help Rachel. 
Uh, they start looking for Rachel and the Beyonder. Magneto's using Cerebro, which, am I mistaken? I thought only I thought Cerebro Cerebro magnifies your power, and so for it to work in this capacity, doesn't it need to be a telepath? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was so, I, I was going to say that, but we can talk about it now if you want. Oh, it doesn't matter. I just I was just trying to think: is there is there yeah. something? Is that something that they've never been clear about? And I just assumed. No, no, it is. And uh, so in the '60s, Magneto had some secondary mental powers. I, yeah, I remember that. And they kind of got rid of that. And then now, for some reason, they're hinting at it again, which is a terrible idea. I, but I Professor agree. X is gone, and Rachel went on her mission, so someone's got to use the rebro. Oh yeah, Magneto can do that. Why not? Yeah. Why not? All right. So there you go. So ultimately, they find Rachel. They see the signature. Her energy signature is different. And so they start becoming concerned that maybe she's more like her mother than they anticipated. Maybe a little bit of Dark Phoenix in there. Right. Uh, then we have a recap, I guess, of the Beyonder. <laughs> that starts with the cell and a flower and the Beyonder in his weird uh, all-white clothes. Where he's just sitting on Alcatraz Island pondering life. He spends a lot of time just pondering life. Yeah. Yeah. In these books. So anyway, Rachel shows up. She attacks the Beyonder, gives her gives him everything she's got, and it as if he doesn't even notice it. So the Beyonder then turns and he then takes her and basically does a and they even say this in there, <laughs> a uh, Charles Dickens a Christmas Carol thing where she goes right. back goes forward into her time and her timeline and he basically makes rachel beyonder makes rachel force her past where she was unable to save the x-men of her future timeline so she kind of has to confront that and then he gives her a bunch of extra power just enough so that she could actually kill him and then says okay you can kill me now but then he shows that he brings the x-men in the 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 ghost of x-men present the ghost of X Men's presence show up, and they're falling out of the sky. And he says, "You can kill me, or you can save all your friends." And then Sentinels fly out of the ocean, and Rachel is basically forced with the idea of killing Beyonder or getting redemption for her future past. And so she ultimately chooses to save the X Men. And so we end up with a long chase sequence, basically three pages of the X Wing. Of a Sentinel chasing the X-Wing. And not bad pages, but it is three full pages. And then we have a big fight in um, San Francisco, right? That's where they yes. are? Yes. Mm-hmm. San Francisco. In which we have some pretty cool claw popping and some attacking of the yeah. Sentinels. Ultimately, we'll talk about the art later, but ultimately the, they defeat the Sentinels. Rachel shows up, saves the day, gets the redemption she wants, but still pretty mad about it. Also important point in there, Magneto tries to save a bunch of civilians and starts to prove his commitment to the X-Men and not just to the X-Men themselves, but to the X-Men philosophy. Right. Yeah. Pretty big turning point in, in this weird issue. (laughs) Yeah. And, and to also mention, I forgot to mention this earlier, early on Magneto and Wolverine are basically kind of back and forthing. Uh, Wolverine's really pushing Magneto and uh, they say to take the measure of Magneto, I guess, but Magneto's (laughs) taking it pretty seriously. Right. important that here Wolverine thinks to himself hey Magneto is really trying to protect civilians maybe he has changed yeah maybe um okay Rachel's mad at the Beyonder 
she goes to the Beyonder and yells at him. And he says, hey, I did all this so you could get the the um, redemption that you wanted. He calls it inner balance. And so she says, no way, and is still mad at him and then flies away. I thought it was interesting, and one of the, one of the few kind of interesting moments here, is that she's, she's mad because it's kind of this fake test scenario. It's like, I do want this redemption, but I need to earn it through my life, not through like this setup. Right. Yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And it, 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 that fits too with the Beyonder and several things before. Right. He's trying to yeah. give people purpose to give him purpose. Like he's kind of trying to help sometimes. Right. But he's such a dick most of the time that nobody ever really gets that. And so he's so misunderstood. Poor Beyonder. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> poor, poor Colossus, man. People need to quit waking him up in the middle of the night, making him oh, rip his scary. stupid PJs, man. He goes through. I feel like every issue he wakes up and rips his PJs by going uh, metal. Why doesn't he just make his PJs out of the same thing that he makes his suit out of? Yeah. And just wear baggy PJs. Or you know what? Sleep in the nude. Be a real man and sleep in your underwear. Right. Exactly. So I wrote, I didn't make the Seagal connection, but, but you know what's funniest about that though? I don't know. I don't know if you, how much you pay attention to him, but there's a, uh, the Scarbro podcast. It's also on Earwolf. They yeah. have, um, oh, what's his name? He's really funny. Van Kirk does a Steven Seagal impersonation. And oh, all, he's always talking about kimonos. And here you made this comparison of Wolverine and his PJs is a big kimono. Well, I, and I was part of the reason I thought that made that made the Steven Seagal connection is that he's in the kimono. That's funny. And I would say if that was drawn better, that would be an awesome snicked panel, but it's not. Yeah, it would be if it was a cool Wolverine face and he yeah. wasn't smoking a bizarrely long cigarette. <laughs> it almost looked like it's one of those uh, those old-timey movies where the fancy ladies smoke a cigarette in a little cigarette holder. Yes, yeah, or the penguin, or, right. Yeah, the penguin, yeah. Oh, uh, and going back to the Cerebro thing, I thought that when Magneto became a baby, that's when the mental powers went away. Like when he grew back up, they were not there. But I, I don't know what's going on. Well, I think you were wrong. Apparently. At least in, for this plot, I'm wrong. <laughs> Isn't it really funny that Magneto was a baby? <laughs> that's so stupid. <laughs> that's, a dumb, that's a dumb thing. Yeah, that's so ridiculous. Such a random, random idea. I, I really, really like the panel where Rachel gives is. You know, I said she she gives it all she's got. Oh, hold, hold on, hold on a second. Oh. I want to ask you if you know something that Wolverine says here. Okay, oh, back back when him and uh, Magneto were kind of verbally sparring and kind of sticking each other with barbs. Um, yeah. What the flame and flame does? I hoist on your own petard mean. I've never heard that ever. I don't I don't know what that is. Okay, so I'm faking that a little bit. While you were giving your summary, I actually looked up the expression and a petard is or rather was this is all according to Wikipedia, of course. No, it's not, I'm sorry, this is phrases.org. A petard is or rather was, as they have long since fallen out of use, a small engine of war used to blow breaches and gates or walls. And there's a little diagram. It's like a little tripod with a little, like, fuse that you light, and it shoots a little block through the wall. 
I guess apparently they were kind of dangerous to use, and so people often got hurt using them. Yeah. And so the expression means that, like, basically, basically, like, stabbing, shooting yourself in the foot or stabbing yourself with your own knife, which I guess would be modern. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why Wolverine says that. I think it's really dumb. That is really weird. That's a very random phrase. Well, I wonder, is it, okay, Pat, is this a Canadian phrase? <laughs> <laughs> Let us know, Pat. Is, is, is that this, something that Y'all say that a lot up there? Eh? <laughs> weird. Okay, so now you were going to talk about, first of all, we get this cool thing. Well, I thought it was kind of cool visually of like the the evolution of the Beyonder um, yeah. from the cells to the DNA to the helix. Then we jump straight from the helix to like a planet. I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. But um, and then even the little flower I thought was well drawn. So yeah. then uh, what you were going to say on page seven. Yes, that full page where you have basically looks like an atomic explosion. But instead, the mushroom is the phoenix. I think this page is awesome. I do too. It's really, really cool. I just, I, that this is by far the best page in the book, visually and just, and it's a nice, like, full page splash, and, yeah, and it's colored really cool too. It just, it looks great. Yeah, I think the cover and that are worth at least one claw just on their own. Yeah, I agree. I would agree with that. Anything else? I'm trying to think of what else. I, I, don't even know, I don't really have another notes on this. Um, I just I had a comment on page 14. I thought Ramita did a good job with the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> uh, oh, so I have a question for you. On page 16, um, after we have our big Blackbird chase scene, we actually yeah. get to the Which signal. does look pretty cool. I it does, especially the it, part where they're going through the atmosphere. Yeah. It looks really it cool with all the lines and stuff. But, yeah. but so after we get that, we get little panel sections of the Sentinels fighting the other X-Men. And I have a question here. Does Magneto have to wave his hands around to use his magnetic powers? I don't think so. But it. But this, he gets caught in this web with his arms by his side and suddenly he's completely ineffective. Well, it says the catch web will neutralize antagonist entities' powers. And so maybe the, it's not just that he can't move his hands. Oh, maybe there's he's, something he, in the web itself? Yeah. Okay. All right. That and that, that sounds very X-Men-y, so I'll buy that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't... I, I, it, was, it would be really stupid, I think, if he had to use his hands. Yeah. Like Storm having to use her fingers to fire lightning bolts. <laughs> So then on the bottom of page 17, we get a potentially great, but kind of terrible Wolverine panel. Or say it again, which one? Uh, the bottom of page 17, where he's running in front of the red windows. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is. could be a great panel, but it's just not. Drawn poorly. Um, but the next page makes up for it. Wolverine diving through the sentinel head, and then like slashing the arms, and even when he falls on his butt, three great panels. Yeah. But, so, we get kind of oopsie when they talk about his uh, bionics, the bionics in his arms again. But, and this is not the intention, I kind of think Wolverine almost corrects him. At least you can retcon it to say he's correcting him. Where he says, yo, Buckethead, I prefer to call him Claws. Interesting, yeah. So, I think it's just semantics in Claremont's head. But I think you can point to that and say, hey, no, they're not bionic appendages that are actually his claws that he had. So, you know, yeah. whatever. So then also on page 20, we get some pretty <clears throat> badass Wolverine. And he's slashing through some more Sentinels. 
Which again, if it's, it was if it, the art was better, it would be another great panel. Yes, yeah. But his, this one, he's got his lips are really large for some reason. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with his face there. Uh, we get another reference that in Rachel's future timeline, Ariel was the code name for Kitty that stuck. I won't. I won't accept it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so for people that kind of have a thing on off and on is a. Uh, Kitty phasing completely into Colossus's body, kind of sexual. <laughs> a little bit gets a little weird there for a minute. All right. So overall, I thought the art had its moments, some really, really good moments, balanced with a whole lot of meh. Yeah, I I would agree with that, and a couple of bads. Yeah, yeah, a couple of just weird looking things. And I thought the story was okay. What do you think about the story? Uh, it's okay. I mean, I think it's. For a tie-in with the Beyonder, it's actually pretty good. Well, but yeah, that's a real low bar. I like the. I mean, the X Men fighting Sentinels is always a good time. I don't really like the uh, the X Men Christmas Carol thing Beyonder does. Um, that's kind of dumb. But there that's, are some good character moments. So this, I don't know. Well, I'm kind of on the yeah. fence. I kind of like the idea of of uh, Beyonder setting them up, setting Rachel up for redemption. I mean, it's kind of you know wacky with the whole the whole um, series, but I kind of like the idea that Rachel gets that opportunity, even if she's mad about it and wants to earn it. She still makes the choice, right? And so we still have that. We have where Magneto really does seem to be being an X Men. Yeah, yeah, that part's really cool. Yeah, there there are good character moments for sure for our X Men. Uh, we see Storm, yeah. like, just another example of her being a badass with no powers, flying the jet with all the G-Force and stuff, like, really making a sacrifice. So, yeah, there's good X-Men stuff, and terrible Secret War stuff. I enjoyed it. And I the mean, art maybe. being kind of, I'd say the art averages out. Yeah, maybe. Maybe? Okay, so what are you going to grade, uh, Uncanny 202? Um, I think I'm going to give it a three. Okay, me too. I think everything kind of averaged out to three out of six claws. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I enjoyed it, but I think I enjoyed it more because I had read Secret Wars, which was so bad. <laughs> and so this felt better to me. Whereas I think if I had just, if I started with this one, if I was just reading X Men, I, I think I would have probably thought harsher on this. I think I was, I was very borderline between a two and a three. And honestly, is less about the comic itself and more about the cover and, and some of the art we talked about that, that yeah. gave this a more charitable grade. I agree with that. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go back to the regular series. <laughs> Is that it? Secret Wars. Two, 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 two. Number eight, <laughs> Betrayal. Different colorist. Christy Shield does the colors. All the rest is the same crap. The cover is by Milgram and Aloha again. And it's a terrible cover. It looks like a terrible 80s movie poster. It's basically yep. like giant beyonder destroying buildings and fighting heroes. Yep, no good. Yeah, it's terrible. All right, so the beyonder, out of a sense of furthering the plot, if you can call this a plot, suddenly gets fed up with reality. As an infinite being, he cannot handle the emptiness of finite life. Molecule Man tries to Dr. Phil him, but Mr. B decides to destroy the multiverse. 
because only by being everything again can he be complete. Molecule Man somehow buys a 24-hour window. In this time, the Beyonder is attacked by many heroes, including the X-Men. Molecule Man decides he can't hide from Mr. B, so he's going to fight too, but it's not enough. His girlfriend, thinking Mr. B is jealous of them, throws herself at the Beyonder, and this entertains him, makes him laugh, so he suspends his destruction. It's pretty sad. Eh. (laughs) (laughs) I I only have one, the only thing I gleaned from this is your nickname was almost Cameron, I jaywalk and skydive, Sinclair. Because they're talking about all these like these things these daring people do, and I think Spider-Man says something like, "Yeah, like all the jaywalkers and skydivers, like, those don't go together." I mean, jaywalking is, I guess, slightly dangerous if you're doing it on the highway, but yeah, very strange. Or if you live in Judge Dreadland, where they shoot you for it, but yeah, oh, a couple. I was gonna throw out of here. Yeah. Give what you got. So, one, I thought it was interesting that we seem to create the idea that Molecule Man actually created the hole that the Beyonder saw. Yes. Yeah, I guess that's kind of important. It was him becoming Molecule Man. Right. But I also thought they keep with the running gag with uh, Marsha has a giant bag of Cheetos. (laughs) She's always cooking and doing... That kind of stuff. Right. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is, as I was looking at Molecule Man, so the Beyonder like blows up the moon and all these other planets, and the Molecule Man just fixes it really quick. Yeah. Uh, if Molecule Man's power is that he can control, manipulate molecules, why isn't he out there healing people's cancer? Because why? it's rude to leave your guest when you're playing board games. But before this, <laughs> when Beyonder finds him, this is an very powerful power and so why isn't he like making people not handicapped anymore and right. saving people's lives from diseases because he is it's, it made me suddenly realize that he's a, a terrible terrible person yeah and a terrible character oh yeah he was already a terrible character yeah but as i realized the extent of his power I think it suddenly dawned on me that it's like he could do some real good in this world, but he'd rather watch the shows. Right. Uh, The other thing I was going to mention is I thought it was um, interesting that this is just kind of in here, but that the Beyonder basically Bill Cosby's a waitress. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say that joke? (laughs) No, you're fine. That's awful, right? I mean, it's like, it's just, pretty bad. Rapes a girl, and we're all like, "Oh, this is a crazy part of the story." No, he gives, he basically gives her a roofie with his eyes. Yeah, he roofies her with his eyes, and then she's in love with him. Yeah. I also I did not like that we have the X Men suddenly show up to try to fight him. Although I did think it was kind of funny how they all attack him, and the Beyonder goes, "Oh, for Pete's sake, <laughs> get." <laughs> It reminded me of the, again, much better panel. Um, The panel where Phoenix blows up in the city, I thought was actually a pretty cool panel. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. As cool as the one from X-Men, but it's it's cool looking. Yeah. Her ponytail got a lot longer. Yeah, it's not good. And um, there's a picture of Colossus where he looks like Herman Munster in the face. It's terrible. The art is terrible. 
the art is very, very bad. Um, and that's pretty much it. I think the end where it reveals that Marsha was was not really turning on Owie. Who cares? And that it was she was just trying to make the Beyonder not jealous. I don't know. It's so it's so stupid. Yes, it is. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave zero land on this one. I'm gonna give Secret Wars two number eight zero out of six claws. I thought art and story were both crap. Yeah. It's terrible. Right, well let's go back to X Men, see if that can save save us again. Kenny X-Men 203. Uh, hey, guess what, Cameron? What's that? Secret Wars 2 continues in this issue. We got a tie-in. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> this that is was... much better. <laughs> uh, that was my uh, Benny Schwaz impersonation. <laughs> uh, okay. A spoiler alert, in a future episode, there will be a house of pies. <laughs> I hope so. Literally. So be on the lookout. I can't wait, man. I cannot wait. Okay, X-Men 203. Crossroads. We have Chris Claremont, John Amita Jr., Al Williamson is still guest-thinking, Tom, Tom Orzachowski, Glennis Oliver. Yep. Same old. And still Jim Shooter. Um, so cover cover Phoenix versus the Beyonder the universe isn't big enough for both of them yeah I don't like this cover no it's terrible Beyonder looks like a version of Dazzler yeah Dazzler mixed with Don and Troy mixed with Michael Jackson yeah and Phoenix is not drawn cool no the bird itself is okay I guess but she doesn't look cool nope no good all right, so what happens in this, our thankfully final Secret Wars 2 tie-in on the podcast that goes snicked? So we open up with Rogue, in her mind, having a fight with Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. And so they're fighting it out in the streets of San Francisco, and Rogue is just thinking to herself, basically. Get a hold of yourself, that kind of thing. Basically kind of recapping when she stole Miss Marvel's life. Yeah, and it kind of part of that, I think, is because at the end of... The last X-Men, she falls into a crowd and absorbs a bunch of people, which I think we didn't mention that. Oh, right. She absorbs bits of a bunch of people in that that big fight sequence in the last one, which it's not an important point and nothing comes out of it, but I I thought maybe it had something to do with that. But anyway, so she's on the bridge, the, the, um, not the Brooklyn Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, and she's crying, thinking about being bad and how she can never make up for the times when she was bad. Well, and also, she doesn't really know who she is. Is she more rogue or more Carol Danvers? True. Yeah, she's really struggling. Yeah, you know, a real identity crisis, if you yeah. will. Yeah, a lot of that going around. Face off. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so she's struggling with that whole thing. And what else was it? Oh, yeah. So, uh, so Rogue, after struggling with that for four pages, we come and she finds Kitty sitting in the dark. Yeah. In a kimono that then turns into an armor with a sword. No, she takes it off. She has armor on underneath. 
Oh, that's right. The armor's under the kimono. There you go. Sorry. And she recaps what sounds like an awful New Mutants story. <laughs> I did not read it. Where the Beyonder basically erases the New Mutants. Yeah, which other than right. Cannonball, fine. <laughs> yeah, really. But so, and since Kitty has that connection with Ilyana, she remembers, but everyone else, so Rogue, Rogue says she doesn't know who you're talking about with Ilyana. Colossus doesn't have a sister, basically right. doesn't remember any of these people. So, which is really very kind of unimportant. So I'm not really sure why they even included it in this, but I guess just to tie the tie-in to the tie-in. Right, yeah. Um, so anyway, so... Connect the dots. La, 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 la. So Kitty's really stressed out about all this. And um, Rachel shows up and basically says she's got a plan. Beyonder gave her a lot of power, enough to kill him, but she can't do it on her own anymore because she chose to save everybody else. Right. And so she comes up with a plan, basically, where she's going to take everybody's life force. Yeah, which is what her mom did when she saved the universe. Right. And so, yeah. but in a way that sounds like it's also going to kill all of them. Yes. Not like her mom that just used it and then killed herself. Right. Or didn't even kill herself at that point. That was later. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So this is the idea. So Rachel and Kitty and Rogue have this discussion, and they say, yeah, let's do it. And then, for some reason, um, Jessica Drew's there. Yeah, well, because they're, they're staying at her house in San Francisco. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot that. I thought that was utterly random. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't remember that being established, but she says that when she shows up. Yeah. No, we're at my house. I'll I'll participate. Maybe that was in something. I used to be Spider Woman and will be again. Well, she says, okay. And then Rachel goes into the house, finds sleeping X Men. Yeah. And Bill Cosby's them. (laughs) Wow. Going to that well again, huh? I'll throw that in there. Yeah. Um, Except for Storm. (laughs) Who doesn't sleep, apparently. No. Yeah, she's awake and she says, this is wrong, what you're doing. You can't kill Beyonder. Um, and Rachel grabs her arm and takes her life force anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so she gets starts growing. We have a very Batman symbolish version of the. That's kind of cool. Kind of cool. We have a Beyonder that looks like a giant baby. He doesn't though. He looks more like the Kingpin. Usually he has like a big giant bobblehead. Yeah. And this just looks like kind of a just a slightly yeah. large head. Kingpin baby face or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, he doesn't look like a normal Beyonder. I don't know what they were doing. Watcher, you mean? I mean, Watcher, yeah. Yeah. So, Rachel's flying through space. Now she gets the attention of the Star Jammers and the Shi'ar. Professor X tries to talk her out of it and she won't be deterred. Right. She brings all of their souls, I guess, to this place, their life forces. Yeah, going way back. To the Mecheron or whatever, however you say that, Crystal. Yeah, the yeah, macaron, macaron, like a like a high like like a honey ho. Macron, macron, I don't know. Anyway, Phoebe right. <laughs> Armin's classic. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, I'm stumbling around because I honestly, and I I told you off air, and I'll tell the listeners now, I was losing interest in this so rapidly, I was having a hard time even following what was happening in this yeah. because it, 
I, I just don't care. But right. anyway. So basically, Phoenix oh. is stealing the essence of billions of life forms to try to give herself the strength to defeat the Beyonder. And she's kind of doing it against, I mean, without asking them, really. I mean, she, she asked and got a couple of volunteers at first and then said, well, that's, now I have carte blanche to take whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. And then we have like three pages where they just show a bunch of like pictures of just aliens and people. And right. I, I think this is showing the, the billions of life forces. Yes. Yeah. Hate, I guess. But it was I did like kind of the duality. So the double page spread is like a big cosmic phoenix with all these things you described yeah. inside of it. And then you turn the page to a single page splash of the duality of, of Rachel. And so yeah. inside her, so I kind of like the, like the, the skeletal toothy grin of her yeah. kind of dark side or whatever. I feel like, I feel like by the rest of this comic, I'm going to preface all my thoughts. There is, I feel like Chris Claremont is trying too hard. A little bit. Yeah. He's just trying too hard to be deep and, ends up sounding kind of Scientology in a few places. (laughs) Well, and he's trying really hard also to kind of parallel Rachel's experience to Jean's experience and then showing what some of the differences are, which that as an idea, I don't mind. I'm not sure the execution really pays off. No, and and part of that is the Beyonder. And so maybe give Chris Claremont a little bit of slack here that he's tying this into and an awful story. Right. And so that as the backdrop makes me not care about this. (laughs) Exactly. Right. If you took this away from the beyonder and it was some, it was a different storyline. I think I might've cared more. Possibly. Yeah. It might've been better, but yeah, I don't know. So she's the billions of life force. So I have a question for you. When did Rachel actually gain like the full Phoenix force? Was it from that snow globe? When she went to her grandparents' house, you know, I interacted with the globe and it broke and whatever is that. Are we assuming that's when like it started happening? I think so. Okay, but I'm not sure. It's I didn't think it was clear. I feel like nothing in these two tie-ins. There's like all this stuff that's kind of like halfway explained, and then just we kind of take it for granted. And I don't particularly like that kind of storytelling, but. I wonder if, and my theory before about the first Secret Wars, about all of the the X-Men tie-in being a big passive-aggressive attack on Jim Shooter, right. is that a lot of the, I wonder if they're, they're, these are things that Chris Claremont wanted to do right. over a longer period of time. Possibly, yeah. But because of the Secret Wars and the way Jim Shooter kind of boxed them in, maybe, and so we kind of get a rush on this, and so yeah. Rachel becoming the phoenix is like wait what did that happen where, where did that come from <laughs> well i just yeah i i guess my feeling is i read these past couple issues and i feel like i missed issues but i can't for the life of me figure out where else it would have been yeah. told well and because chris claremont is usually way over explaining everything <laughs> right right <laughs> and so when you have stuff that doesn't quite fit you feel like you missed something. She's like, well, surely Chris Claremont had a four-page soliloquy on this. Right. <laughs> Why do we... Rachel's got to have a four-panel monologue about what it feels like to be the Phoenix now. Right. But that yeah. didn't happen. And so, I, yeah. yeah, it's weird. It, it, did we miss something? Is it is it the Secret Wars forcing them? I don't know. But anyway, so to continue with the, the summary here. So 
basically what happens is as she's doing this, ultimately at the last minute, she decides she doesn't want to do it. Right. She can't and kill everybody gives, like that. She can't kill everybody. Because that, that's the other thing. And I, I said this already, but I'll reiterate. The idea is everyone was going to die. Right. So to kill the Beyonder, she had to kill everyone to stop the Beyonder from killing everyone. Right. With the idea and the hope that the Phoenix Force would recreate a world with no Beyonder. Which is a long shot. <laughs> it's an awful <laughs> big roll of the dice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just the, the to kill everyone to keep someone from killing everyone. Yeah. That's so like Cold War nuclear theory. <laughs> <laughs> We blow them all up, and then we're going to blow all us up. Everyone dies, and right. we win. But at least they don't nuke us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, so she decides not to do it. She feels like she failed. Aurora is basically like, you didn't murder billions of people, so no, you didn't fail. <laughs> <laughs> you made the right choice. And Wolverine basically says he's going to fight him old school now that he has the chance, and we have a right. crying Magneto. And so everything then goes white, which kind of looks cool. Yeah. There's a, a panel where Wolverine has his claws out that I think looks pretty cool, except that Colossus's head is too small. Yeah, a little bit. Kind of weird, but anyway, so the Beyonder shows up and basically says, I gave you this power to kill me and you didn't do it, so I'm going to show up, and so let's do this. <laughs> and Rachel says, I'm not going to do this. And Wolverine turns into old man Logan suddenly. And Kitty has a single tank top on. This is Hawaii, randomly. Yeah. That then turns back into armor. I don't know what's happening there. Um, she so gets she up in the Beyonder's grill. That's right. She goes off on the Beyonder and she calls him a jerk, basically. Probably something more specific, but I can't remember now. But A bully. She calls him a bully. bully. She calls him a bully. Uh, shouts at him. Rachel suddenly dawns on her that the Beyonder was using her all along and wanted her to be the one to kind of destroy everything and right. him. To go back to, like we said in the Secret Wars, he feels like if he destroys everything and he's all there is, then he'll be happy again. Even though Molecule Man said, but would you be? Powerful scene. (laughs) (laughs) Very. Very. (laughs) And so Beyonder basically says, you're right, I did want you to do this, but you failed me. And then she exposes her own power, exposes explodes, <laughs> uses her own power against the Beyonder. It also um, kind of shows him what the Phoenix power means, I guess. Yeah. Is that, so is it, that what happened? <laughs> I think so. Because at this point, I guess maybe because of the rage and the fuel and the anger and all the things that were happening, I guess it's a lot more powerful this time. And so it, it overwhelms him, the life and the death, I think the, the infinite, the mortality, all that. And I guess kind of convinces him to go the 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 route of mortality, which of course that gets us to Secret Wars nine, which we we'll get yeah. to. In a and and then the comic gets real eighties sitcom preachy. I felt like it suddenly oh. turns into like a okay. here's the lesson of the issue. <laughs> Let's talk about this for a minute. What is the meaning of life? Be kind to your neighbors. I don't know. It was a weird again, and I was losing interest because the Beyonder, and I'm mad at him, but right. But yeah, it gets it gets very it gets very. Uh, I felt like it got very preachy. A little bit, but I I kind of liked it. Well, all right. Well, you have any, anything else plot wise no. you thought? Have? Okay, so That's all. I <laughs> I feel like it's kind of cheap. 
And then the Beyonder achieves the best part of his character arc in the Uncanny X-Men tie-in. I think that's credit to Claremont. I would agree with that. This is not great, but this is the best thing the Beyonder does in the whole series, is this kind of realization that the individual, the uniqueness of everybody's life, not looking at the universe as a big thing, but as all these billions of individual lives, and that's, where, that's what it means. That's what life is. It's, it's not, I think he says, not um, to consider each life, each potential, each candle, not as things, but lives like your own. And can you snuff them all out? I do like, and, and I, I'm just thinking about this now. I didn't think about it when I was reading it. I do like that the idea that the Beyonder, in, in, in all of what's happening here, you still have this struggle where he's not quite sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy. And so the idea that he wanted, he wanted Rachel to destroy everything. Yeah, he's he a coward. Do it. He could do it himself, right? It's easy. Right. But he didn't want to do it himself, so he wanted her to. He was trying to get her to do it for no real reason other than the fact that he didn't actually want to do it. Or to make the decision, really. He just... To make the decision. So it kind of gives him a, even more, humanizes him a little bit more. Uh, yeah, and credit to Claremont. And then, again, maybe the, the, the Secret War stuff it was already burning me by this point. Right. So you take that out, I think I probably would have liked this a lot more. And I think you're right that Claremont did probably as good a job as anyone could have with this nonsense. Well, and honestly, like, Rachel, uh, with this kind of whole thing, is his biggest adversary, though Shooter will try to convince us it's Mephisto coming up here in a minute. But it's really Rachel. And honestly... We said that before. Yeah. But I think instead of having nine issues of garbage... If Chris Claremont had just written an arc in Uncanny X-Men where the Beyonder came back, or I don't like the idea of the... Because the Beyonder from the first Secret Wars was super mysterious, and I'd rather him not be this guy that becomes a man. I don't really like that. But make this just a different character and just make this a big X-Men story? I think it could have been better. Yeah, I agree. But Secret Wars, the series itself, is just so terrible. It's, it's, It's interesting that Claremont's able to kind of salvage a few bits. Yeah. Well, when we said in the last one we did that, you know, when he falls in love with, it's like he notices Rachel, but then ends up falling in love with stupid Dazzler. Right. And I think the same kind of thing in this one where he, where Molecule Man becomes the, the, the powerful force that, that kind of starts to stop him. Right. I think it should have been Rachel because Molecule Man's dumb for one. It's kind <laughs> of and he's a random character that, that shows no purpose and, and cares about no one except TV shows. But the Phoenix Force is such a, a such a cool thing. Right. And so it's like this. Well, you know, Rachel I, and Molecule <laughs> Man both have those crazy facial tattoos. Has anyone ever seen them both in the same panel? Uh-oh. Conspiracy theory. Yeah. And, and I'm glad this happened in the X-Men comics. But I, it's like I think Secret Wars would have been better had this been the, <laughs> this been the finale there, right? You know, where right. it's like Phoenix that shows up, and we have the 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 life force, the life and death that that almost yin and yang of life and death that the Phoenix Force represents. Right. Because really, that's that's what the Beyonder is looking for is the the meaning of life. What is the the un, to understand life and death? Right. This was all off the fly because again, I was not thinking about this stuff when I was reading, it, but. <laughs> But that, 
The, the whole point of the last couple issues of Secret Wars is that he has no meaning because he doesn't understand life or death. He's only infinite. He can't grasp in the same way that, that humans can't grasp infinite. He can't grasp finite, you know? Right. And so it's like, so nothing means anything to him. And so it's like the, the Phoenix, that seems like the perfect counterbalance because it is the essence of life and death. At least that's the way they're trying to do with it. Right. No, I agree. I make I, Secret Wars good. It's <laughs> is, is too late. No, it's too late. It's too far gone. But yeah. anyway, but yeah, that that I I think that that should have been the, the final. And so yeah, we'll, we'll talk about nine Secret Wars nine in a minute. But yeah, well, before we get there, going to less serious things, I liked uh, on page nine that Wolverine was sweeping it off. He had all those beer cans <laughs> on the floor. And he was yeah. face down on his mattress, not even even on his pillow. Like, he missed yeah. his pillow. And maybe it's just shadow, but I think there's a little bit of drool. <laughs> yeah, it does look like that. And then I like also Wolverine's quote on page 17, after Rachel decides not to kill everybody. He says, um, I have the right to choose how to end my life, and I'll kill if I've got cause, but I'm not an executioner. So that was a good little Wolverine line. I also like on page 18 when the Beyonder shows up and Wolverine's facing certain death, he thinks of Mariko, which of course yeah. is my favorite Wolverine love interest, so I thought that yep. was nice. I liked that as well. And then on page 19, Rogue has a line, and I said, uh, yeah, Rogue, you're not the only one bored with the Beyonder. <laughs> <laughs> She's speaking for the audience at this yes. point. Yeah, definitely so. So I thought the art overall was not great. I thought the Phoenix stuff was kind of cool, but the rest was kind of, eh. I, I agree with that assessment. I, I think I probably liked this less than you did. Although talking about it, I'm turning around a little bit on it. I don't know. I don't. I think there are parts I like. So story-wise, here's what I like. I really like the Rogue part at the beginning. Yeah. It's like kind of classic early continuity rogue I, just, I I dig that stuff the middle super lame yep and I said the end with the beyonder is not great but it's the best part of Secret Wars 2 so far yeah and all uh, that averages out to me I'm gonna give Uncanny X-Men 203 2 out of 6 claws yeah that's what I was gonna do too yeah 2, two out of 6 claws I agree with your assessment I, in thinking about it I like the the Phoenix versus Beyonder thing more than I did when I read it. Yeah. But I think that's more theoretical than necessarily execution. Right. So I'll, I'll stick with the three, although I'm, I mean a two. Although if I thought about it long enough, I might change it to a three. But Possibly. We'll see. But nine is, is so bad that I can't, just can't bring it back. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's finish this series up, huh? Let's do it. All right. All of these have been perfect. <laughs> As we say goodbye <laughs> to the yeah. beyond. Yeah, so Secret Wars <laughs> 2, number 9, and Time to Die, also called God and Man, Man and God. So back to Cameron's messianic thing. So we changed colorist again to M. Hands. Um, everything else is the same. All garbage. Eh, our cover by Milgram is terrible. Um, this might be the worst one. Maybe. By the way, Fantastic Four question. Does a thing always have three toes? I've never really... 
It's like super like obvious think, on this panel. He looks like he has frog toes. Yeah, it does. I I don't think so, but I don't. I've never. I haven't read enough Fantastic Four to really. I, mean, I know he only has four fingers. Yeah, but I never I was, really paid yeah, attention to his feet. I guess three seems too few. <laughs> I don't know. Because it looks too froggy, like you said. Right. Especially with them all spread out like that, Milgram. Come on, man. Okay, so how are we going to end this thing? Well, if you have to know. So Mr. B wishy-washy waffles about erasing all of reality. Rachel, so back to her, gathers all the heroes to hunt down the Beyonder. Our quote-unquote super couple of Molecule Man and uh, Lava Girl gets back together, deciding not to be codependent anymore. The Beyonder decides instead of obliterating everything... He quit half-assing and go full human. He builds a giant, dumb vagina machine. I sure hope he doesn't try to hump it. And uh, bursts himself. <laughs> Mephisto, still some, for some reason feeling threatened, attacks the Beyonder in his mortal state with smoke and mirrors, as devils do. So the Beyonder reunites with his godlike power, forcing Mephisto to run away. Seeing that being finite only makes him weak and vulnerable, Mr. B flips yet again back into annihilation mode. He gets an idea but needs to buy time, so he commands his reanimated new mutants to stall the heroes by attacking them. Because they're only the new mutants, the heroes subdue them, and Molecule <laughs> Man digs them down to Mr. B's underground digs. Like that? Dig and dig? Right? right. Pretty clever, huh? That's, that's Jim Shooter level cleverness. <laughs> so he tries to explain what he's doing now but all the heroes led by Wolverine's claws mind you dogpile him the Beyonder casts them off and goes mano a mano with Molecule Man Jim Shooter quotes the two mightiest beings in all existence the Beyonder wins destroying all the heroes he re-enters his mama machine to try to be reborn as a finite element inside an omnipotent self. I don't know what that means either. Don't ask. So it turns out the, mol- the Molecule Man actually shielded the heroes from B's power. Rachel zaps the heroes back to Beyonder's base where the- they uh, go road versus Wade on whether to abort baby B from the mama machine. While they argue, uh, we get spider sensed just before the mama machine goes nuclear. Again, the heroes are shielded, this time by the Invisible Woman, Rachel, and Silver Surfer combined. The heroes are about to destroy the still-standing machine until Mr. Fantastic stops them, proposing that destroying the machine holding all the Beyonder's power would destroy them as well. But Molecule Man shracks it anyway. Blinding power erupts. Everything dies, but then it doesn't. Silver Surfer finds the dead baby bee, And then, proving that codependency never truly dies, Marsha professes, I don't know how you can murder a baby, but I still love you. And I guess the heroes go home? Question mark? Let's pause for a second and talk about how we read nine issues of this series. (laughs) Endless amounts of bullshit. Yeah. And the final takeaway is a dead baby. (laughs) That's what we get after all of this. Jim Shooter gives us a dead baby to end this nine-issue run on. That is the biggest letdown, even though I didn't expect much because I hated it. 
Right. But at the, at the very least, I anticipated a kind of happy story. And for a brief moment, I thought... But we okay, get one. Mar- we get one. Now, go ahead. Say a brief moment. Okay, Marshall, Marsha and Molecule Man are going to take the baby and raise him. And Beyonder gets what, gets what he always wanted, which was the live humanity... They get back together. They get their baby. They everybody's happy, right? But no, the baby dies. But it doesn't really. So it turns out the mo- the Beyonder doesn't, but the baby dies. Oh, well, yes, Beyonder that's true. It, that's true. The baby's still, dead. Yeah. Okay. It's still a. Uh, <laughs> it's still a very horrific end, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so to finish up real fast, it turns out the the molecule man didn't. Or I'm sorry, Owe. Owe. Didn't oh. really kill Baby B, but sent all his essence and power back to his dimension, creating a whole new universe there. So the Beyonder, instead of going back to his all-white nothingness, actually gets a whole, like, parallel multi-universe thing. Yep, he actually begets, then gets to do his own version of the... Genesis story, or universe. evolution, or whatever he wants, really. Yeah, basically, he gets to create a 2001 all Space Odyssey. Starring the Beyonder, which is okay. It's, it's not bad. It's make up for the dead baby, but it's okay. <laughs> it's not a bad ending, and it pretty much says that none of this story has to affect the Marvel universe going forward. And I'm okay nope. with that. I'm okay with. That. <laughs> so I did kind of like. There's a panel where Wolverine talks about his sordid past, and in that panel, he lights up a cigarette. Very subtle shooter. Smoking's bad. Smoking's bad for you. So, and speaking of Wolverine, this is the podcast that goes Nick. We get to see him carve up the Beyonder a little more. Yeah, I didn't mind that at all. Yeah. And why I disagree with Jim Shooter's quote completely, the actual panel of the quote-unquote two mightiest beings in all, of, all existence is actually not a bad panel, and it's got some interesting layout to it. And it's it's not terrible. No, it's not bad. I, I yeah, I agree. I don't agree with that. It should be Phoenix and Beyonder. Right. Or I don't know, get rid of Beyonder altogether. But but yeah, that's a good panel. Right. And I said that the pseudo intellectual sci fi last page is almost decent. Almost decent. And I think the the two things that I that stand out. I'm not going to say that I liked, but that stand out is when he first becomes a baby and then grows up, comes out of the mechanical uterus. <laughs> he said, and now I am my own son. Yes. That was kind of funny. So my note on that was Beyonder makes a mechanical uterus slash vagina and gives birth to himself. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then changes his mind. That was pretty funny too, which fit with Beyonder. He keeps changing his mind. Right. And he gets his power back, and he does it again, and he gets his power back, and he does it again. Oh, Just, man, Meander. The Mephisto worms come out of his mouth. I thought that was really gross. Maggots, man. It was very disgusting, I thought. Oh, do you want to point out that Wolverine voted to kill the baby? Mm. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, I, I get it. I get that they wanted to make sure that Beyonder wasn't coming back. But it still just seems like a just a real crummy way to end a crummy series. <laughs> yeah, it's a, real, it's a real bummer of a way to end the series. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, not the art overall it, was still kind of crappy, but at least there's some good panels. Let me throw this in there. Uh, yeah. Here's my beef. 
Why did they have to have a baby body? Why didn't it just go away? If the Beyonder goes away, why did the, why did the physical vessel still I, remain? I think Molecule Man wanted everyone to think that he killed the baby and that the Beyonder was dead and didn't want, he didn't want them to feel like there was a potential happy ending that the Beyonder still out there somewhere. Like he wanted to say, hey, this was the Beyonder and we killed him in the story. Leave the guy alone. That, uh, that he doesn't. Me. He doesn't say anything, even to his girlfriend. At least not in these pages, about yeah. what he actually did. Like he lets her believe that he's a baby killer, and she obviously doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> but she just wants them donuts. That's right. Stupid. We're gonna talk generally about Secret Wars overall. Well, let's, let's grade this one first, and then we'll right. we'll do some general thoughts. So, All like right. I said, I thought the art was still pretty crappy, but there's some good panels. Yeah. As far as the story, it's the best of the series, I think. It's the only yeah. one that I felt like it's had a real right. plot. I guess you're right. There were some of the earlier books I thought had some funny kind they of They were moments. more ridiculous, yeah, for sure. But, I, yeah, as far as there being a story that made sense, I guess this is probably the best. But that's a very low... <laughs> Very low poll. Yeah, but I think it's the only issue that actually had an actual plot. All right, well, so let's let's grade it. What are you going to grade Secret Wars 2 number 9? I think I'm going to give it a one claw. Okay. Because I, I, I agree with you. There is a plot there. It's not an, aside from the baby, it's not an awful way to end it. Right. Well, I mean, the Beyonder get what, gets what he wants, kind of. He gets yeah. to go back to his universe and be both God and man, the creator and the creation. So I just, I, it just took so long to get here. Um, yeah. I'm going to go a little higher than you because I thought the art was a tiny bit better and the story went okay. I'm going to give this two out of six claws. Okay. You could probably talk me into it too, but I'm going to say There's no reason to. <laughs> no. So Secret Wars 2 overall, should our listeners read this? Should they be reading along? I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm going to say no, too. We covered most of the really funny stuff, and that's really its only value. Um, it's funny in that it's crazy, and even then it was more only funny when we talked about it. Yes. More so than actually... I agree with that completely. Right. All right, so Al Milgram, I'm really not a fan after this series. He no. did okay in the Wolverine and Kenny Pride series. I mean, okay, kind of stretching yeah. it. He had good stuff followed by a lot of average stuff, but this was just so bad. The art, everybody was super stiff all the time. Faces were awkward. Yeah, just it's not good. It is not a good-looking book, and nope. of course... There's been no secret how we feel about Jim Shooter. It's, it's terrible. I mean, it's a nine-issue series, eight of which don't even really matter. No. <laughs> I think my my biggest problem with the series, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about overall. I think the biggest problem with the series is the fact that he's omnipotent. Right. Because it, nothing makes any... There's Nothing matters. There's no... I don't know. There's nothing at stake because if he destroys things, he can fix it right back. Right. He can erase people. He can bring them back. He's a good guy. He's a bad guy. It doesn't matter. 
if he's bad for a while, then he becomes a good guy and fixes it all again. Right. And so it's like ultimately... Even that whole stupid thing with the New Mutants where he literally obliterated them and then, oh, well, here they are. And then Rachel's like, oh, I can fix them later. So it's like... Undoes it. Yeah. It it, doesn't even need to happen. It doesn't... Nothing matters. Nothing is important about it. Nothing changes out of it. Yeah. No consequence, I think, is the best way to say it. No, no consequences involved. And so it's... I, I, I felt at reading it, I felt, uh, or by the end of it, I, I felt very just, what, what is the point of all of this? And ultimately, like, we get to the end of it, and, and yeah, he gets his universe, and but I don't, I don't even care by this point, because I don't right. like the Beyonder. Right. I don't care if he gets what he wants anyway. <laughs> You're talking me down to a one. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like, he's just been a jerk. He raped a lady in issue eight. Well, several times. He manipulated and mind-controlled people the whole series. Right, right. But that was the most clear, specifically. Yeah. You know, it just, yeah, I mean, drugs and prostitutes and just all the things he did. It's like, I I don't know. I just didn't care about him anymore. And so the, the final payoff is a dead baby in another universe. And so I, to me, it's like, ugh, ugh, who cares? The problem with this one, so the first Secret Wars was pretty dumb, but in its best moments, it was big, dumb, superhero fun. Yeah. And there were consequences. Yeah. Or effects, at least. Right. And honestly, the first eight issues of this barely even count as superhero comics. It's more just kind of pseudo-intellectual ramblings than anything else. Yeah. And it's not even really a superhero story until issue nine. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's and, a lot and I, of, and I'm of the vein of the opinion. I'm fine with I I read a lot of comics that aren't superhero stories, but they don't pretend to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one is trying to sell itself as a, as a Marvel superhero team up comic where all the heroes are working right. together. But in, it's not. It's a it's a weird being rambling and, and thinking about the meaning of life. And so, it, yeah, it, and it's not, it's just not well done. I mean, just, and we talked about this already the first time around. Jim Shooter is trying so hard to say something so deep. And it just is not. But it just doesn't work. It's shallow the, and stupid and. But he's also trying to be funny. Right. And the gags don't work. And so they, not only do they not work, but then it takes away from the meaning of the other stuff he's trying to do. I agree. And my takeaway from this, comparing Secret Wars 1 and Secret Wars 2, is that who would have thought that Jim Shooter writing a crappy toy commercial, which is basically what the first one is, yeah. would be so much better than his stupid psycho babble. <laughs> and it's weird. Man, I, don't... I think it also, it also kind of helps. It helps that the first one all takes place between two different issues. Because then it, it has some, there's some effects, but they're immediate and then it's over. Right. And you know, okay, I'm with this book, the series is still going, but it's done. We've, we've revealed the effects, you know, roughly, you might, a couple issues revealed all the effects, but still. Whereas this one just kind of kept going, but without really affecting anything. And so you just have this omnipotent, powerful being that's irrelevant to anything. Yeah, yeah pretty much. And it's won't cool. show up again forever, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah, 
until it, until it, now with the new Secret Wars. But but the Beyonders that Hickman is using, the race of Beyonders is nothing. I mean, it's, it doesn't even barely relate to this. So no, I, you couldn't. I don't think you could do a comic like this these days. No. It's too. Uh, it's too much nonsense. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else you want to say about Secret Wars too? Um, there were a few points reading it where I thought to myself, I think this is literally a waste of paper. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I would consider yeah. just putting this back on eBay where I got it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of sad that I own the whole series. <laughs> I'm tempted to just give it away, but I'll probably right. keep it just because, but... Yeah. I'm sure it's worth nothing. Although, now, and this particular moment, because the current Secret Wars is going on... You can on, get some name recognition. Them. I saw it awesome, the whole set. Like, 10 bucks or something? So, I mean, you can get, you can get a few bucks for it now. Yeah. All right, well, that is Secret Wars 2. Uh, we're going to cut off right there. Okay, the end, Secret Wars. The end, all right. Is that applause for us? Because I'm pretty really sure, excited. I'm pretty sure that's not for Secret Wars too. <laughs> no, it's because it's over. Uh, <laughs> People right, are really right. excited that it's over. Yes, there you go. Well, I have a surprise, a bonus. Cameron has oh, oh, oh. a reward for having to slog through Secret Wars too. Yes. We're gonna talk about the return of Jean Grey for just a second. Uh oh. So Wolverine is kind of in this in flashback only, but it's. Even though Jean Grey is not my favorite love interest of Wolverine, there's a whole legion of Wolverine fans who love Jean Grey. So I would be remiss not to mention this at least. Yeah. And oddly enough, her return slash resurrection takes place in Fantastic Four number 286. (laughs) All right. This is uh, written and penciled by John Byrne. It's part of his legendary Fantastic Four run. Terry Austin does the ink, so a, a reunion of Byrne and Terry Austin. That's always nice. Uh, Glennis Oliver does the colors. John Workman, working hard, does the letters. And our cover is by John Byrne. And our cover is very reminiscent of Uncanny X-Men 101. Oh, yeah. I've seen that one. So as Jean, when we last saw her before she became the Phoenix in that little black dress with a pearl necklace... And she's making her little phoenix cross pose, um, kind of a crucifix thing that she does. And in front of her are the Fantastic Four. And other than Sue Storm's terrible mid-80s haircut, pretty decent cover. So just as fast as I can go through this. So the Fantastic Four return from one of their renowned spacefaring adventures to Avengers Mansion where they are currently staying at this point in continuity. Captain America tells Reed about Avengers number 263, where they found an energy egg at the bottom of Jamaica Bay. And X-Men fans, that should sound familiar. Um, the Fantastic Four determine there's a woman inside in suspended animation, but they don't recognize her. The pod woman exhibits topsy-turvy powers. Reed quote-unquote hatches the egg, revealing Jean Grey in mid-plot point from Uncanny X-Men 100. She mistakes the heroes for robots and is aggressive, 
but Sue knocks her on her butt with an invisible force field punch. They figure out that she's Marvel Girl from the X-Men, but hey, she's dead, right? So Jean recaps all the events from Uncanny X-Men 100, but with a Wolverine coloring error. (laughs) And there's a gap in her memory from the end of the mission. So Jean wants to find Professor X to mind probe her, but Cap tells her, uh, sorry, you can't do that. Magneto is the leader of the X-Men now. This, of course, comes as a shock to Jean. So Reed, Sue, and Hercules accompany Jean to her parents' house where they find the Phoenix Snow Globe. Captain America learns about Dark Phoenix from Beast. Jean uses the Snow Globe to find the memory of her accepting the Phoenix power. Remember that space shuttle as they're re-entering, going through the solar flare, that whole recap thing. Reed determines that the Phoenix created a new Jean body to inhabit while depositing Jean's irradiated body at the bottom of the bay in a healing cocoon. Not only that, but somehow Jean's soul that was a little bit in the new Phoenix body is what saved it and the universe when the Dark Phoenix killed itself. That was Jean's essence still somehow in the body that the Phoenix created. So the art, other than some weird neck issues, is great. Um, It's good to see Byrne and Austin together again. And it was good to see Byrne do Wolverine again. Uh, We get some flashback, like we said, of Uncanny 100. We have that nice panel where Professor X is in the middle and the X-Men are lined up. And the coloring error I mentioned, uh, for some reason, in that panel, Wolverine's in his brown and orange costume. When back then he was still yellow and blue. But they fix it on the next page. We have a really nice panel of... of, um, Wolverine, where he cut open Gene when he realized they were androids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just a nice, classic John Byrne panel. It's really good. So I thought the story is a little bit of a cheat, but if it had to be done, this is just as good of a story to do it as any. So the reason I wanted to do this while you were still here, I know you don't didn't have a chance to read this, but what are your thoughts overall on, because I know you're familiar with the story, so I just wanted to know what your thoughts overall on the whole Gene resurrection as this kind of leads into X-Factor. And all that stuff. Um, and it basically says that everything we had from 101 until the, the Phoenix died was not really Gene. That it was this body that the Phoenix made that had a little bit of Gene in there, but not really. Yeah. And that's the only part that kind of bothers me. But Yeah, I think it's it's weird. It was it was a weird way to do it. I don't I don't really know why. Why they didn't just bring her back? Why does it have? Why did it need to be? Actually, it wasn't really her. But I guess because the Dark Phoenix does such bad stuff, the idea is they want to they want to take away Gene, even even Gene's capacity to be that bad. Right. Say that the real Gene couldn't have even done that, even with the power, even with all of that. Right. She would never have gone that far, but because it was this kind of other body. I mean, I'm I'm glad Jean's back because I think she's a great character, Ooh, and I like okay. that she's back. But like you, I'm not crazy about exactly how they do it. Well, here's here's kind of the point I think of why they kind of did it this way. First of all, if I remember correctly, Chris Claremont was against this move. Oh, wow. and he doesn't have to deal with the character because he doesn't write X Factor, right? And they don't cross. They actually don't cross over for quite a while. Um, so he can just kind of ignore it because he always felt like I remember he kind of felt like when he was going through the Dark Phoenix stuff he kind of wrote himself (laughs) in a corner where he felt like Gene's death was the only way to redeem her yeah like that that noble sacrifice was the only way to kind of make up for like you said what all the Phoenix did and so 
I think he felt like her death, she had to stay dead to stay a good, like a good hero. And so he didn't want her coming back. Uh, Marvel wanted her back because they wanted all the original X-Men and X-Factor. Yeah. So I think, I think Byrne kind of got tasked with it because he drew a lot of Jean and drew a lot of the Phoenix stuff and drew like the story where she dies and stuff like that. So it makes sense that John Byrne did it. And I guess it happened in Fantastic Four because that's the book he was doing at the time. That's the only thing I can really think of. Um, There's really no particular reason for this to need to be the Fantastic Four other than the fact that I guess hiding her resurrection for so long, the X-Men couldn't be the ones that found her. I mean, I guess it could have been Scott, but I'm kind of actually anxious a little bit to to reread. I forget how and why Scott ditches Madeline. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't, when like, he remo- and I so I'm looking forward to reading the beginning of X Factor again. I'm gonna dive, kind of read that parallel with the stuff we do in the flashback series, just because yeah, be, it's the same time period. But yeah, I'm yeah, good to bring a little bit of that in too. But overall, I just wanted to hear your thoughts. I, I, my kind of takeaway is that considering. Her death, and, and particularly the way Claremont felt about it, and then Marvel kind of mandating it had to happen. Yeah. I feel like doing it this way is as kind of as good as you're going to get, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I do think, as I think about it more, I think on the one hand, as I was saying a second ago, it, it makes it so that Gene never was that bad. Right. But from Claremont's perspective, probably, it also then means that Gene was never that good. Because that... <laughs> That sacrifice, right? That sacrifice that Dark Phoenix makes then, right. which was so powerful because the idea was it was Jean Grey finally overcoming. Well, now it wasn't really Jean Grey. And well, so, but I, I guess that's why John Byrne makes Reed Richards go to such pains in this issue to explain to you that even though Jean's new body or old body was buried in this cocoon, that there was still some fraction of Jean's essence in the new gene that the Phoenix created, and that is what led to the That's sacrifice. What finally won out. In yeah, the end, I guess. Okay. So, yeah. How her soul can be in two different bodies? Eh, I guess comics, right? <laughs> <laughs> comics, right? Yeah, I um, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's I want, I want, I too like Gene to come back. I think this is about as good as you're going to get. But I can see why Claremont would have been frustrated by it. Right. Overall, just because the art's really great, and because whatever you think of the resurrection, they actually tell a pretty good story in this issue. I'm going to give Fantastic Four 286, uh, five out of six claws. It was it was fun to read. So don't let my wife hear that she hates Gene. <laughs> but crazy. But um, yeah. So that's our little surprise. Just wanted to throw that in. Wanted to give you something fun to talk about after the torture that was Secret Wars too. <laughs> so yeah, let's wrap up. All right, so that's going to do it for episode 139. Uh, thanks, Cameron, for uh, schlogging through that craft with me. I, If misery loves company, this episode is proof. <laughs> that's true. All right, well, uh, we're going a little long in the tooth. Uh, what do you got to plug? Um, I actually have something kind of cool to plug. Okay. My podcast, History Banters, so many of you probably may know. I've been trying to get doing stuff again, and so I got one recorded that I haven't posted yet. But the exciting thing is tomorrow, assuming things don't fall apart, tomorrow I'm going to interview the guy that wrote the book that the AMC's turn is based on. 
I we have that book. I haven't read it, but I have it. Washington Spies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the <laughs> Colonel gave it to me. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Alexander Rose. I, I he, he's on Twitter all the time. He live tweets the episodes of Turn. Okay. That's cool. Pretty. Funny. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And so I just Twitter messaged him. Whatever you call that. Yeah. Twisted, twisted him maybe. <laughs> anyway, so he agreed. So I was going to come on. I'm going to talk, but talk to him tomorrow a little bit about. It won't be a spoiler one, so if you haven't seen all the episodes, it'll be more about, you know, you know what's it like to have someone make a movie out of your book, really. Right. You know? and we'll talk, obviously, we'll talk a lot of history, too, but but I'm yeah. pretty excited about it. So yeah, that's first, really cool. The first kind of un- guest that I've had that I didn't know at all, right. and that was kind of randomly connected, so. Yeah, that's pretty rad. And I guess, depending on how it goes, that that'll probably drop about the same time as this episode, I would guess depending on how long it takes you to edit it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm probably... Yeah, I haven't decided if I want to release the other one first or do oh, okay. change the order, but right. either way, we'll see. Well, so either way, check yeah, check historyvayner.com either right around the time this episode drops or soon after, you'll be able to hear that uh, awesomeness. I'm sure it'll be great. That sounds really exciting. Yeah, but otherwise, that's it. Oh, okay. Well, then for... Whoa. <laughs> He's making a weird face at me. <laughs> <laughs> Like an old man chipmunk. Um, but yeah, all the usual stuff. Uh, leave an iTunes review. Like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Uh, show notes and stuff. SnickCast.podbean.com And uh, that's going to do it. So until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. <laughs>